Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Hey, we're starting something today before I get into the message that we're calling 10 Stories. You guys have been aware, if you've been with us the last number of weeks, uh, we are doing a really long buildup, if you will, to what we are calling our our 10-year anniversary. And uh, that is... That is coming, yeah, it's so exciting. That is coming in, in April. April 2nd is that date. And we thought today is 10 weeks to April Sunday. And so we got a lot of 10 happening. When we get really close, we're going to have 10 days of nonstop prayer. But we thought, what if we had 10 stories over the next 10 weeks declaring all the great things, not only that God has done in this church, but really what he's doing in people. And so you're going to get to hear a story every week from someone sharing a little bit about what God's done. And so this is week one of 10 stories. Y'all ready for this? All right. Well, why don't you go ahead and welcome our first story out tonight or today. This is uh, Scott, of course, and he's going to be sharing with the Bytels. All right. Come on, people. Hey, y'all, I am so excited to have the Bytels up here this morning. Most of y'all, well, maybe not most of y'all. Some of y'all know them, and some of you are going to get to know them even more this morning because they've got just an incredible testimony. And you're going to get like A, L, and Z of this testimony today. And so what you need to do is you need to take them out to lunch sometime and get the rest of it, okay? Because there's a lot to it, and it's such a beautiful story. So what I want to start with today is um, I want you to tell me just a little bit about what life was like before Jesus for you guys. Um, because it, truly, it's it's incredible where you guys have come from. I'm super nervous, so I wrote this stuff down. Um, so I was raised in a Christian home, but my parents got divorced uh, when I was young, and because they were struggling, um, I went to find acceptance and love in other places, and that led to drug addiction, domestic violence relationships, um, sexual abuse. Uh, I didn't know who I was, sexual identity. Um, And that landed me in prison with trafficking charges and a bunch of other stuff. Okay, Brian, how about you? Well, I like to think of myself as I was an above average drug dealer. No, No, but for real, I was a... I was a bad man. You know, I was a a violent gang member. Um, You know, you think of the bad guys in the movies, I was that guy. I was, uh, you name it, I did it. Um, And ultimately, it led to high-speed chase through the city, which landed me in the eighth floor of Oklahoma County Jail, Pod D, uh, looking at 30 to life. So what I want you guys to do, this is a little bit of the before, I want you to tell me a little bit about that lead up to your conversion, that lead up to meeting Jesus, and just what that looked like for both of you. Well, so you guys know, I I said I was raised in a Christian home, so I wasn't completely foreign to who God was, but uh, absolutely I was in the darkness. So I went to prison, and I started spending time with this lady named Asha. On Saturday mornings, she would do a Bible study, and I would go in there and just kind of hang out with her, and we would talk about, you know, all of the things that God had carried us through. You know, like, I should be dead right now, but I'm not, and that's a miracle. 
Um, and it was then that I kind of was like, okay, God is real, and I think he might love me. You know, like I think this might be a real relationship. And so um, in that time, I was sitting on my bunk, and I was reading a book that I think was like Harry Potter or something like that. And, um, and I always thought people lied about stuff like this, like about what I'm about to tell you, but um, I heard the voice of the Lord tell me that uh, my chains were breaking. Like the words, Chelsea, your chains are breaking, were like spoken into my ear. Like I could have like looked over and seen him. Um, and I knew that I didn't have to be a liar or a thief or a cheater or any of that again. Come on, Brian. My story is a little different. Uh, you know, I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home or anything like that. But um, I was in, that, in the jail. And to say that my conversion experience was inconvenient is, is mild. Um, it would have been way easier for me to go to prison for what I was. Uh, it would have been way easier for me to just keep being the person I was. And um, God had other plans. I was in my cell doing push-ups, and I like to do timed interval workouts. So, you know, I looked for a clock. There wasn't one. The only book I had was a little orange Gideon's Bible. And so I was like, I'm going to read 10 sentences out of this book, and then I'm going to do my push-ups. And uh, something happened. Something happened. And it doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, I got to a verse that says, you cannot serve two masters. Either you'll serve me or you will serve mammon. And I remember, like, I'm a pretty analytical guy, and I'm like, what is this mammon? And I'm looking at my roommates going, maybe they're mammon. And, uh, you know, but it rang, it rang home for me. And, uh, you know, it, when you're in that life, you don't get to just quit, right? It, it costs something to get in and it costs something to get out and normally that's your life so uh, you know it was terrifying and I had to make a really hard decision um, I remember thinking what are you doing man uh, so yeah I, I, I got to a place where they're like hey I need you to go do this thing and I was like I can't, bro. I'm just not with that right now. And they were like, well, what's up? You were with it the other day. And I said, I think I quit. And it didn't go over well, you know. Um, so what happened? What was it that had to happen for you to get out of your game? Well, so they, they're obligated to do something, you know, uh, but we were all friends at that point in time. They're like, hey, we're not going to kill you, but we are going to beat you until you leave. And I didn't want to go to prison with the jacket that said I'm a catch out. And I didn't, I didn't want to just, you know, I was in a, between a rock and a hard place. So they beat me for months, for months. And it went on for a good majority of my stay in prison. Woo, come on. Okay, so do me a favor. You guys get out of prison. You've known each other for a while, but you guys end up getting together. Um, and you come to OKC. Tell me what, being here at OKC, what's your journey been like since you guys have been here? 
So I first came to OKC Community Church because I went to a small group, um, single moms with Katie, who is now Katie White, but was Katie Ellis then. Um, and I don't have my son, you know, and there's a group for single moms. And so um, they accepted me and loved me and gave me a place to heal, you know. Um, so then we came on a worship night and we were like, we're not switching churches. And then we came on a Sunday morning and we were like, we're switching churches. So, um, but I would say that something that being here or what I've learned being here is that intimacy and relationship is so important. Um, and it's hard to get that at a bigger church or, you know, I don't know. Big churches are great, but there's not a church like this church, you know. Um, and what I would say about OKC Community Church is that it's inspired me to have an open door policy at my house. You know, like here we have an open door policy. You walk in the, you walk in this house and you know you're loved and people see you and they wanna know you. And I want that at my house. I want people to walk in the door of my home and say, I'm loved and I'm seen and I'm heard. And I think it's really been life changing for us, you know? So prior to coming here, you know, there was this spark inside of me and when we came it was like a catalyst moment for us at least for me I'm, I'm sure for my wife as well but it was like gas being poured on the fire and now we have this white hot passion that burns in us and we tell everybody about this place about the people um, and it's just you know an increase in faith uh, in so many ways, between the healing and, and just the, the gatherings. And, and um, you know, you just can't, you can't put it into words. I just tell people, you have to come experience it for yourself. I don't do it any justice by telling you with words. You need to come be here. So there's one more thing I want you to share, Brian, that you shared with me. Since he's been here, he'd mentioned that he'd never had this happen before, but on a worship night, he had this vision. And tell me, tell, tell quickly about that vision. Okay, so uh, yeah, I was in worship, hands up, and I kind of was outside, and I look, and there's Jesus, and he looked regular, you know, as far as Jesus looking regular, I guess. But yeah, uh, he kind of smiled, and it almost looked like he winked at me, and and he knelt down, and I, we have a fireplace at home, and I, I'm not from the country, I'm pretty city boy and uh my wife's like you need to blow in it if you want it to get fire to come up and so i did well in the same way jesus knelt down but he was at the doors of the tower theater and he blew and it was like it just ignited and then like the embers traveled across the city and the city kind of caught on fire it was it was just you know come on can we all agree on that vision come on well, thank you guys. We appreciate you. And let's give them one more round of applause. Come on. Can I just pray? Um, Father, wow. We thank you and we praise you for how you work and what you do. Lord, I pray now that even as we take a story like this and try and ask ourselves, what do you want to do now in our hearts? We just allow you to do whatever it is you want to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Give it up one more time for them, man. Wow. <clears throat>
What a testimony. And I uh, was sitting here thinking, how do we follow such a powerful testimony this morning? And I thought, well, let's just follow it with another really powerful testimony from God's word. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. It's a story of a radical conversion. That was a radical conversion, right? We're going to talk about a radical conversion, um, something that you don't really see coming. And I think that that's, those kinds of stories are so powerful. When, whenever God does something no one saw coming. Um, well, we are in Act, before I get into Acts 9, we are, in, we are in week number five of our series called Fire in Our Hearts. Uh, how many believe that God is like moving in our church right now? You know what I mean? And I just believe he is. Uh, and so I would just say this, you know, if you're thinking about coming to Monday Night Prayer and you haven't, quit thinking about it, just come. You know, we've been reading the Bible together. It's been so good. Those of you that wrote devotionals, thank you. They've been amazing. So good. We've been praying for 100. We tried to log 100 hours of prayer this month, right? And we've, we've sailed past that. I don't know what we're at now, but over probably over 130. And uh, just really thankful for the way God's moving, not just in those ways, but um, in our ministries. And, you know, I know some of you even serve in city care. I think about that, like people are out there just serving the homeless in our city. And I just love it. And every Sunday, God does something. Every Sunday when we gather, he's touching people, he's saving people, healing people. And uh, so I'm telling you, God is building the fire. If, 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 you're not getting, if you're not getting affected by it yet, um, I, just, I just want to encourage you to just continue to lean in with us. So Acts 9, Acts 9. We read the story of a guy named Saul of Tarsus. Uh, and he is, re- he is met on the road to Damascus by Jesus Christ. This is a remarkable and stunning event. It truly is. It was radical, and it was unlikely as it ever gets. Uh, No one saw it coming because Saul, of course, hated Christians. He hated Jesus. We all have that person in your life that you're like, they're like the most unlikely person. You know, they would never say yes to Jesus. If If there was like, you know, the high school most voted most unlikely to get saved, you know who they are. You know what I mean? Like you have that person in your life. Well, Saul tops that list, right? Saul tops that list. And today... One of my hopes in you being here and us being here together is that we would all be encouraged to know that God can do anything, that God can reach anyone, that God can save anyone, that God can heal anyone. Like, no one is out of God's reach. Do you guys agree with that? Amen? Yes. And so Paul, of course, Saul, who eventually would become Paul, a lot of you know his story, he would go on to write a large chunk of the New Testament, 13 different letters that would eventually lead us to understanding sort of the foundations of our theology, doctrine of the church, understanding the mystery and the beauty of the gospel. All this is coming from Paul. Paul would become the main player on the scene after Jesus, and he would eventually take the lead on the advancement of the church. He'd become this relentless, you know, just missionary and evangelist and church planter and theologian. This was Paul, right? But before Paul was Saul of Tarsus, and I want to talk a little about him for just a moment uh, Saul would have been around during the time of Jesus. Who knows if he ever went and heard Jesus preach a sermon, but the first time we ever encounter Saul is in Acts chapter 7. It's at the killing of Stephen, the first known martyr of Christ. And it says in the scriptures that when the men dragged Stephen, who was a follower of Jesus, out of the city to stone him, that they took off their coats and they laid him at the feet of a young man named Saul. In the very first verse of chapter 8, it says that Saul approved of their killing. 
That's how we're introduced to this man named Saul. And he, he, was no, he didn't make any you know, secrets about his past. He talked about it often in his testimony. In fact, in Acts 26, he's giving his own testimony. This is how much Saul hated Christianity. He said, I too, this is Acts 26, starting in verse 9, I too is convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Can you imagine? You know, this detail that says the authority of the chief priests. Uh, to have that sort of distinction put upon you meant that, that Saul was probably high up, if you will, and had quite a bit of stature among the Pharisees. Saul was, of course, a Pharisee himself, so he had quite a bit of influence among the Jewish council. He was literally given the authority to run around, gather up people that were followers of the way, Christians, and these new Jesus followers, put them in prison and approve their death. He was allowed to run over wherever he wanted to go and do this. Now, a little bit more history about him, because I think this is good. Can I teach you a little bit today? Yeah. All right. All right. So Saul, Saul was from a, a city called Tarsus, it was a, and it was a great city in Asia Minor, heavily influenced by Greek philosophy and culture. And Saul's father must have been quite a unique individual, because he was not only a Jew that was probably a Pharisee, but he was also a Roman citizen, which probably meant he had quite a bit of money because he bought his citizenship. And so he was most likely, like I said, a Pharisee, and he passed all these valuable assets down to Paul. And Paul had quite the upbringing as a result. And he was also, no bones about it, like very Jewish, very devout in his Judaism. He says this about himself in Philippians 3. He says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks they're great, please, I have more. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, meaning I was, it was exactly as the law says it was supposed to be done, of the people of Israel. So even his parents, like from the day he was born, were doing it right. And the tribe of Benjamin, which is like the elite of the elites, meaning I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, please, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I was persecuting the church. I had all the zeal you could imagine. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. So here's Paul. He's like, in other words, I'm about as stout of a Jew that you will ever find. I'm as stout as they come. I've been doing it since I was a baby. Like, listen, I grew up doing this. He even says in another story in Acts 22 that he went to school under a guy named Gamaliel who was seen as one of the most prestigious Pharisees in all of the council. He would have been leading the school for young men aspiring to become Pharisees that we considered like Harvard. And so he had went to the Harvard of Pharisaical schools. So he was absolutely unique. A com and a commentator wrote this of him. I love this. He says, by birth, Paul was a Jew. By conviction, a Pharisee. By citizenship, a Roman. By education, a Greek. And eventually, by grace, a Christian. Think about all these details of his life, though. If you know anything about the story, and I'm assuming a lot of you do, the story of Saul, who would later become Paul. If you know anything about the story, all those details I just mentioned matter a whole lot. Like, Every one of them comes up in his future as a significant uh, part of his story. It astounds me how all those details matter. And, and, and when I think about our lives, it astounds me how every detail of our life will matter. We may not think it matters. We may not think it matters where we were born, but it does. How many of you guys know, how many of you guys know where every detail of your, matter, of your story matters? For example, I don't know. Tracy, where are you born? Texas? Texas? We're out in Texas. 
Well, I don't know if that matters, but um, no, I'm just kidding. San Antonio, Texas. Okay, cool. But you're part, you were born in the U.S. That matters. Like that's significant to your story, right? Probably your family, the origin point of your family matters. Okay, so uh, I don't know. Ashley, how many, how many siblings do you have? You have two siblings. Are you the oldest, youngest, middle? You're the oldest. And we all know that that matters, right? We all know the oldest sibling knows that it matters that they're the oldest, right? But every part of our story matters, right? Like even who you were before Christ matters. And the bad things that you did before Christ even matter. Who am I going to pick on now, right? So, Jessica, tell me something bad you did before you knew Christ. I'm just kidding. I, I shouldn't even ask. We don't need to know. We're not going there. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. We already heard enough bad before Christ today, right? Brian, yeah. It all matters. Every part of our story matters. And here's the thing about it, and here's why I say that, is you don't have to like everything that has happened to you and in your story and what you've done or what's been done to you. You probably shouldn't like it all, but you can give glory to God. He can use it all. And I, and I think what's go, so good about that is it helps us know that nothing is wasted. Look at your neighbor and say, nothing's wasted. Through Christ, every part of your life matters. Every part of your story, God can work it together for his good. And this is Paul's story, and I think it needs to be something that we understand. This is our story too. So, Acts 9, let's get into it. Y'all ready? Verse number 1, here we go. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any of them who belonged to the way, which, of course, is people who follow Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, whether men or women, he might uh, take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, interesting thing, Damascus was a big city during this uh, time of, of history. It's actually still a prominent city in Syria today. And Saul must have heard that some Christians were possibly infiltrating the Jewish synagogues there in Damascus. So he says, I'm going to go and I need some authority from the chief priest that I can take these people with me. So as he nears Damascus, on his journey, Scripture says, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around them. Everyone say suddenly. suddenly. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Let's stop on this word suddenly. Saul was suddenly struck with a light from heaven. Now, another verse says that this happened during midday and the light was brighter than the sun. How many know the only person and the only thing that can make something brighter than the sun is the person who created the sun, right? And so here he has this moment, the light hits him, and it happens suddenly. How many know that God is the God of suddenly? God does things suddenly. And there's over 80 times in the scripture that the word suddenly is used, and we know a lot of them. We know when Mary... Uh, was about to hear the news of Jesus, suddenly an angel appeared to her, right? We know, we know when Jesus, after he was resurrected, there's two believers walking on the road to Emmaus, and suddenly Jesus appears to them. We know that in the, or in the tomb, after, after Jesus had rose, rose from the dead, and, and Mary was there, or Mary uh, Magdalene was there, wondering where her Savior had gone, suddenly an angel appeared. We even know in Acts when it says that they were praying, and it says that suddenly a violent wind came from heaven, it was suddenly the Holy Spirit arrived and was present and rested and fall on each of them like fire, right? And so there's these suddenly moments we can just keep going through them one after another. And some of us, I know right now, are wondering when God, where God, how God, what God, 
And I just want to tell you today that it can happen suddenly. It can happen suddenly. And I realize there is a good suddenly in life and there is a bad suddenly. There's not always, not everything's a good suddenly, right? Maybe you got a diagnosis suddenly. Maybe you suddenly lost your job. Maybe someone you love suddenly passed away. Maybe, maybe the marriage that you thought was good suddenly fell apart. I get it. Like, there are a lot of suddenlies that are difficult. But God is there in those moments, and he is suddenly giving you strength you didn't know you had. He is suddenly bringing community around you that you didn't know you had. He is suddenly showing you that he is real and that his presence will walk with you. So even in the bad things that the world suddenly does, God suddenly comes alongside that and gives you all that you need. And so maybe you've encountered that kind of suddenly, but there's the other kind of suddenly, right? There's good suddenlies. I remember when we suddenly became parents. And you're like, well, we knew it was coming. We knew it was coming, but we weren't parents one day, and then suddenly a baby popped out, right? <laughs> Little seven-pound, 11-ounce baby Emily. And suddenly everything changed. You guys get that? Maybe you've experienced God doing unexpected things in a sudden way. I know I've been a part of moments when God gives a word or a vision to someone, and they suddenly have a new understanding, or they have a word that they need to share with someone. I've seen people who have suddenly been healed by God's touch. I've seen people who have suddenly become overcome with the Holy Spirit's presence in their life, and they just begin sobbing, and they don't know why, and they can't stop. I've seen people who say, I suddenly felt like I was supposed to leave someplace, and because I was led by God to leave that place, I think I'm alive today. I've heard people say, I suddenly felt like I was supposed to talk to that girl, and now I'm married to her. Right? Like God does things suddenly in us all the time. He will suddenly move like he did with Saul. So suddenly, let's go back to verse 3. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around them. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus. Can you imagine that moment? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. Everyone say three days. For three days. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to Ananias in a vision and said, Ananias, yes, Lord. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Fun fact, Straight Street still exists today in Damascus. And ask for a man named Tarsus, or from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. <laughs> I love that part. Paul, he's praying. He's blind. Like, yeah, he's like, Lord, I'm just going to pray. In the vision, he, sent, he has seen a man named Ananias come, to, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Love this part too. Ananias is like, Jesus, I'm not sure you know about this guy, but he doesn't like us, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't like you either. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and the kings and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. This is another threshold. Remember that from last week? He's entering into a house. And placing 
his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, don't stab me. That's probably what he said. He said, Brother Saul, don't kill He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he had to pray that with some trepidation, don't you know? He's like, I'm, I mean, okay, God, but I don't know about this guy. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again, and he got up and was baptized. Once again, a little bit of a plug here. I love that when soon, as soon as, as Paul encountered Christ, the first thing he did was besides praying, he went up and got, and got baptized. And so I just want to encourage you, if that's what you need to do, what are you waiting for, right? And then after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. All right, I'll stop. This is one of the most transformative moments and one of the most important people in the history of the world. But when I think about this moment, I don't think about how important Saul was or who would later become known as Paul. I think about the humanness that's going on in this moment. There is something happening that happens to any one of us when we encounter Christ. God was humbling Saul into a different person. He was being humbled, and being humbled is actually the hallmark of being changed. Conversion moments of change aren't just about the bright lights, knock you off your feet moments. He had had that moment, but then now something else was happening. It's not about just the moment, it's about what happens after the moment. What happens after suddenly? You see, suddenly is amazing, but what happens after suddenly? After suddenly, Saul is blinded for three days. He didn't eat, he didn't drink, and I think we would all agree that that in and of itself is a humbling experience. You are literally unable to see that's been taken from you, and he is, I'm sure, his mind is racing with the thoughts of what he had done. He had had believers who had believed that Jesus was alive, right? The reason that he was persecuting them, imprisoning them, and approving of their death is because they said Jesus is alive, and yet here he has come into this encounter where he has indeed seen himself that Jesus is alive. So he has to be filled with all sorts of regret. Now, we know, we know nothing's wasted, that God's going to use all that, but in the moment, Paul was being humbled. He's being humbled. How many know that in that moment, all of his accolades, all of his degrees, all of the riches that he had, none of it mattered. No matter how many letters he had in his satchel from the chief priest, it didn't matter anymore. He was being humbled in this moment. He was being changed. He was finding a new vision, even though he couldn't see. He was blind for three days. Now, the biblical sort of connections to that, the narrative threads, you know, are pretty obvious. We, of course, have Jonah. Of course, he went to the belly of the fish for three days in the darkness. And, of course, you have Jesus in the tomb for three days. And then you have, you have Saul here being blinded in the dark for three days. And as he's coming out of it, it's like he's being resurrected into a new self. So let me just, let me just touch on this. And then we're going to really look at one part of this story that I think really stood out to me. But what does it mean to be humbled? You ever thought about that? It's really, it's really a, a word we throw around pretty easily but I think being humbled means we're coming face to face with how wrong we've been. And that's a hard one because nobody likes to be wrong. 
When we are humbled, pride will spill out of us to the point that we are truly empty of pride. Become, because we come to the realization that God's power and his love are all that we need in this life. That we are 100% dependent on him. Being humbled is a posture of surrender. As we've said, we want to give 2023 all to you, Lord. It is a posture of surrender, which is not absent of the journey of being humbled. We have to be humbled before him. You know, I, I talked a few weeks ago at a, at a worship night about this prayer, Lord, bend us. Lord, we need you to bend us. We are bent to the ways of the world, to the influences around us. We are influenced and led by something every day of our life. And we need it to be the Lord that bends us to his will. You know, the last verse, and this is what stood out to me. The last verse that I read was verse 19. One detail especially caught my curiosity. It says that after taking some food, he regained his strength, and Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Everyone say several days. This brings up a great debate. What is several? You ever had this question? Is it more than few or less than few? How many of you guys agree that several is more than few? Okay, is, it, is several more than five? Raise your hand. Is, okay, is it more than seven? Maybe. What if we get into weeks? Like if it's like 14 days. Is four, are we talking weeks now? Are we still able to use the term several? How many of you guys are like, no, now we're talking weeks? Weeks, 14 days or weeks. Anybody say 14 days can be several? Yeah, it can be. Okay, theoretically it can be. So if we're playing this game, um, okay, uh, I got the biblical answer. I looked this up for you guys because I know you want to know. So next time someone says, what, what are we describing here? We have, we have several cookies left, three cookies left, few cookies left, many cookies left, whatever. Um, the biblical answer is three years. Paul stayed in Damascus for three years. He stayed several days. How old are you? I'm several days old. If you want to say many, you can say many. But you're, you're, you're safe. Biblically, you're safe. You can, say, you can say I'm several years old. He was in Damascus in the area around Damascus for three years. And we know this because he said that he was. He tells us over in Galatians 1 that he had spent his time with the disciples in Damascus, he did enter into the wilderness around Damascus for part of that time. For It seems like some sort of a, just, just exploring and growing his faith in Christ in the area of what's called Arabia. But he was in that place. He did not go to Jerusalem. He didn't go anywhere else. He didn't go talk to any of the disciples outside of that. He was probably being discipled by Ananias. He was probably humbling himself to the church there. And he was growing a new faith for three years. So suddenly becomes three days and then three years. How do we know how long? You ever prayed that? How long, Lord? What if he said several days? <laughs> three days, seven days, three years, maybe more. So he didn't turn, return to Jerusalem to go to the chief priests, for example, and say, hey, by the way, I'm, something's happened. Uh, and he didn't explain himself. He humbled himself to a new life. He didn't go back to Tarsus to smooth things over with his family and friends. And he didn't even go to Jerusalem to kind of meet up with Peter and the other apostles to say, hey, by the way, I'm not the same guy anymore. Let's be friends. 
He wasn't looking for acceptance right away. And this is an important lesson. When God does something suddenly, we don't need to go back to the thing he called us out of to tie things up. And we also don't need to run ahead of him to the things that he's not yet prepared us for. We need to learn what it means to stay and remain in Jesus. It's called when Jesus says, abide in me. And so often when there's a suddenly moment, God does something, bam, we're like, oh, man, I got to go tell everybody back here or I got to get ahead of this here. And Jesus is like, would you, just, would you just chill out for a few days? Will you just chill out for several days here? We want the taste of suddenly so bad, but we don't want the process of diligently. <laughs> the temptation for many of us is when God moves, when God moves, the temptation is, God, why did you call me out of something and then strike me blind? Why have you given me vision and then make me wait for three years? God, why did you wake me up just to put me right back down? Listen, I have had so many friends and conversations with people. It's like, God, call me. God, call me. I'm ready to go. Suddenly, I was like, I felt this explosion in my heart. And I want to celebrate with them. And then they would grow frustrated so fast because someone told them, no, 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 you're still on the bench. No, 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 we're not quite ready. No, 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 there's no money for that yet. No, 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 no. I, I think you need, to, you need to take this slower. And they think that is all just the world coming against them. What if God is saying, I'm going to use every part of your story for my glory if you'll trust me. And so... There is this process, right, that we have to surrender to. It is called being humbled. We don't want to be humbled. We just want the suddenly, and then we want, we want to just move into the thrill. So here's what we become. We become spiritual thrill seekers instead of humble seekers of the Lord. <laughs> oh, man. Today I stand here as your pastor and I want to tell you something. I tell you that there is nothing greater than the suddenly. It's so fun when God suddenly shows up. That's why we pray salvation over every person. That's why we pray for healing here and believe it can happen today. That's why we pray breakthrough in your life and addiction can be broken. Chains can fall off. We believe in the suddenly. But I equally want to raise the banner of the hope that we have and what comes after the suddenly, after healing, after breakthrough, because it's in the season of blindness, it's in the season of waiting. It's in those seasons that I believe God will do the deepest work in us. I remember talking to a guy here who got, he was healed on a Sunday. We, we prayed and his, he had stomach pain, it had been going on for some time, it was an unusual pain, and we prayed and, and like instantly he was healed, like suddenly, bam, healed. It was, I, I'll tell you the truth, it was the first time that had ever happened on a Sunday morning in our church. I remember the moment. I was, I was almost, I actually said to him, are you sure? You know, yeah. I was like, I don't know. And then I called him later that week and I was like, hey man, how's it going? And he's like, I don't know, Tim, I don't know what to do. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, God healed me. And I feel like because he healed me, everything should change. Right? God healed me, therefore everything should change. And he's so right about that. Like, 
I think a concern for our culture and for our modern day version of church is that we seek the sudden power of God, but we struggle to surrender the much harder, slower journey of diligently humbling ourselves before God. We are suddenly saved by grace, but we are diligently transformed by grace. Can I put that on the screen for us? Because I think we need to get this one. We are suddenly saved by grace. Conversion moment, Acts 9, whatever, like there's the moment where Jesus shows up. We are diligently, excuse me, we are suddenly saved by grace, but it is in our diligence to be humble before him that we are transformed. And I'm telling you, every one of you, you want the transformation. You want it. You don't want just want the suddenly. You want what comes after the suddenly. And I know some of us know that. We've been journeying with Christ forever. But I think for so many of us, we are just seeking the suddenly and we aren't understanding that he's wanting to do something else in us right now. Because God does things suddenly to change things permanently. I think we should put that on the screen too. God does things suddenly to change things permanently. How many want permanent change in your life? How many, how many feel like you got things you need to change and you want it to be permanent? Anybody raise your hand. Like you're like, you know what, I've been trying to change, but it hadn't been permanent. I just keep kind of falling back into it. I need permanent change, Jesus. I want to be a different person, Jesus. I want what was in my past to stay in my past, Jesus. God will use moments like suddenly breaking through, suddenly healing, suddenly giving you a vision, suddenly giving you a word, not for the moment, but for what comes after the moment. He gives you that to do something in you, but every time there will be a call to surrender, to humble yourself before him. Every time. Psalm 24 says this, David said, who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has a clean hand and pure heart. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands and a pure heart belong to the humble. You want to stand on the mountain of God? You want the big experiences with the Lord? Clean hands and a pure heart. I believe those belong to the person where three years just feels like several days. I love it. I mean, I know Paul didn't write Acts, but I feel like he must have talked to Luke and said, like, I think I was there several days. And he was like, later on, he's like, actually it was three years it just went so fast because it was so great so I want to pray for the suddenly but I also want to pray for the surrender of to God's humbling uh, the humbling season that I believe he wants to do in this church to create permanent change all right I don't think I need to say much more y'all want to pray why don't you stand we're gonna pray together close your eyes. God, we invite your Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, rest on us right now. We do invite you to suddenly move today. We invite calling into this room. Would you call us? Call us to a vision. Call us out to something that's new for us. We invite you to pour out the gifts of your spirit today. Give us new gifts. Use the gifts that are in us. Resurrect them. Suddenly. We pray your healing power would fall today. God, you are here.
and we know that we are here for a reason. And I believe God wants to move into people. Before this morning, just heads bow. before this morning, I was just praying on this morning, and I felt like God wanted to, to do some things suddenly today. And, and honestly, the, I, I think it can be in any person in this room, but one of the types of people that God really put in my heart was, uh, I believe God wants to move suddenly in some people who are here all the time. God wants to bring a sudden thing to you because you've taken great joy in how God is moving in our church and moving in other people, but it's time for you to have something new in you. And so he wants to move suddenly in you today. And so before we worship, I just want to pray for several of you. And uh, I pray that you're open to us suddenly. And, I, and really, I'm just going to lead you in some prayer right now. If you're open to his humbling, if you're hungry for more of him, just say to him, and I'm not going to give you all the words. I'm just going to give you kind of the start. Just say, say something right now. You're going to start praying. Just say, Lord, I want to surrender to you. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Just pray something like that. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I want to surrender. I'm open to being humbled. Pray to him. Whisper in him however you want. I don't want to run back. I don't want to run ahead. I want to abide in you right now in this moment. Whatever it is you have for me, Lord, I, I humble myself before you today. whatever you suddenly want to do, I, I'm ready for it, but Lord, I'm also not all about the thrills. I'm about the diligent faithfulness, Father, of your work in me. In a moment, this altar is going to be open. And maybe today can be the day of your suddenly. You can humble yourself. A great way to humble yourself is literally bow your knee to him if that's what you need to do prayer teams here, they could pray. You say, hey, I need healing today. We can pray it. I need breakthrough today. I need help today. We can pray it. I can't leave today without giving this one other invitation. The story of Paul, heads bowed, the story of Paul is one of radical conversion. He didn't know Jesus, and then he did story, the testimony you heard earlier was one of radical conversion. If today you're sitting here going, I need Jesus in my life. I need to surrender to him. You can be suddenly saved by his grace today. And if you want that, all you got to pray is this, to say, Jesus, I give you my life. Just pray that right now. If you want to give Christ, give your life to Christ today. If you're done, not done having questions about God and you just want to surrender to him, you say, Jesus, I give you my life. At one point, Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Meaning no one comes to heaven. No one comes to God except through Christ. So that's why we say, Jesus, I give you my life. Just pray that right now if you need to give him your life today. Jesus, I give you my life. We're going to stay a little extra today. We're going to worship a little bit. This altar's open. It's a time of surrender, a time of humbling ourselves. So please, let God move in your heart. We give him this time. As the worship team leads us, I'll come back in a few minutes and wrap us up. But allow this to be a time of true, authentic response. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.